0: Amen. Amen. Now, if you want to keep up, um, page 1041, I'm reliably informed, is the reading that I'm referring to. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's what I'm going to be dipping in and out of this evening. Um, And it's next in our series on stewardship. Um, And we've already looked at putting God first and not to worry, to trust in and seek God first. Then we looked at being content in all circumstances, recognizing that God will meet all our needs. And then last week, David shared about God's financial plan and how godliness with contentment is great gain. So in other words, that we should honor God and center our desires on Him, being content with what God is doing in our lives. And tonight, my theme is about being generous with our time. Now see, your time is an interesting subject, and actually, it's amazing how obsessed the world becomes when it thinks about time. Either there are the, those in industry who are investing so much time in trying to arrest the pace of time by selling us ways to stay younger. Oh, I wish. <laughs> or simply persuading you to part with your hard-earned cash because they have the money and the ideas and tips to help you utilise your time wisely. See, we can all waste time, can't we, falling down the rabbit hole of TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or X, formerly known as Twitter, in an effort to occupy ourselves from facing up to what we should really be doing. Or was that just me when I was doing my dissertation? (laughs) See, we kill time, we save time, we rob and get robbed of time. We lose time, and then we have all the time in the world. But not one of us is powerful enough to stop the march of time, or to slow it down. So how generous, really, are we with our time? What do we do with our time, ladies and gentlemen, this evening? It certainly feels, doesn't it, in the 21st century, busier than any other time in history. But actually, the reality is, we've always been busy. Students have always felt swamped, mums and dads, families, have always felt they needed that extra pair of hands. And why is it that we all wish to have an extra few hours in our day to get the things done? While we can't influence the flow of time, we can still choose how we spend our time and on what. As the author Leo Christopher said, there's only one thing more important and precious than our time, and that's who we spend it on which brings us neatly to our reading this evening. However, I'm going to bring a twist to it. Imagine, if you will, a West Ham supporter, walking back after a game from Stratford, in Olympic Park, having just won. Now, I could be an illusion, but I believe that can happen on occasion. And they've just won, and he's feeling the best thing in the world. And they've just beaten one of the top teams, I can let you put in that whatever team you'd like us to beat, He's got his phone in his hand, he's texting, and he's getting his wallet out ready to put his Oyster card when he goes through the station. And he thinks, I know, I'll take a trip down a deserted street. I can get down, I can get there quicker. And when he does, out of nowhere, a gang attacks him. He can't see their faces, he can't defend themselves. There are too many of them They take his wallet and his mobile phone and leave him lying in that dirty street, barely conscious. He can't cry for help and there's no one around to hear him anyway. After some time, he hears some footsteps. What a relief, he thinks. Finally, someone will help me. It's a doctor on his way home from a busy shift at Newham University Hospital. He's tired and he's hungry. All he wants to do is get home to see his wife and kids. He sees a man lying in the street, assumes he's drunk, knows he should really stop and help him. But you know what? He walks past on the other side of the road. No one will ever know he was there. He hasn't got time to waste on that loser. More time passes. It seems like hours to our injured man. He then hears another set of footsteps. Help at last, he thinks. This time it's the policeman, finally off duty after an exhausting gray day, keeping the opposing fans from each other. And he sees this man lying in the street. Oh, well, he says, yet yeah, another one. He's well and sick and tired of them now. This man probably got what he deserved. I'm off duty now, he says. I'm going home. And he walks by and leaves him in the street. Our West Ham supporter, he's starting to give up hope. He just keeps falling in and out of consciousness. So he doesn't even notice the next set of footsteps that come towards him. And actually, it's, this, it's an opposing football fan that, at the match he was just at who's finally just been let out of the ground on on their way to the station and probably he thinks he's going to get a kick in but instead this fan stops bends over sees the injured man does what he can to help him gets the help he needs he's now covered in that other man's blood but he doesn't seem to notice and this guy doesn't even seem to notice the guy he's helping is a West Ham fan Now, you may have guessed that that that's an updated version of the story that we see in Luke chapter 10. And we're starting, it's on verse 25, if you want to follow, to make sure I'm not too heretical. But as we see in the reading from Luke's Gospel about the parable of the Good Samaritan, the characters may be different, but the meaning remains the same. How do we choose to spend our time? Who do we choose to spend our time with? And what are our attitudes and motives behind it? In one respect, this could be an easy question to answer, couldn't it? Or is it? So easily that we can get caught up justifying ourselves that we always look to help others in need. I'm sure you would have thought, yeah, I would have helped that person. Our heart is to help those less fortunate than ourselves. Or would we be in a position where we might reason it away and say, I can't do that, I'm not a first aider? Or, I'm sure there are others who can help him out. Or even, what if that gang's still there? Maybe I shouldn't. For me, it's about examining the attitude and what our hearts say as we look at this story from Luke. And we can clearly see in this story from Luke different attitudes on display. To the expert in the law who posed the question initially, the wounded man was the subject to discuss. To the robbers, the wounded man, was someone to use and exploit. To the religious man, the wounded man was a problem to be avoided. To the innkeeper, the wounded man was a customer to serve for a fee. But to the Samaritan, the wounded man was a human being being worth cared for and loved. Where do we, the ladies gentlemen, place ourselves in that group? Are we there? I suggest. Ever feeling some of those feelings and those attitudes. I know I'm guilty of those attitudes myself at times, especially when dealing with those I know and love. And that's not an easy thing to admit. But to Jesus, all these that we see in this story, and all of us here this evening, for Jesus are worth dying for. See, Jesus uses this story to highlight the attitudes of the heart. And uses people from different backgrounds to highlight the hypocrisy and the blinkered attitudes, which scarily have still continue to today. As you may be aware, Samaritans were a hated race, they were despised. Although this parable that we read in Luke is unique to Luke, Luke stresses on Jesus' attitude to the marginalized and the foreigner. We also see in Luke the parable of the ten lepers. And you may know that of the ten lepers that healed, the only one that came back to say thank you was a Samaritan. And ironically, in the chapter beforehand, Jesus is rejected by a Samaritan village because they knew Jesus was preparing to go on to Jerusalem. Jesus, as you see in the previous passage, had sent messages ahead to prepare things, but the Samaritans didn't welcome him, and two of his more boisterous disciples, shall we say, decided, why don't we call fire down from heaven and destroy them? And this is all based on the long-held hatred between Jews and Samaritans. The context being that Assyria invaded Israel in their history. And when Assyria settled, their settlers and the Jews came together. And the mixed race became the Samaritans. The purebred Jews hated these half-breeds. And in turn, the Samaritans hated the Jews. In fact, the hatred ran so deep that when the Jews were going from Galilee to South Judea, they could have gone through Samaria, but they didn't. They chose to go the long way around because it was Samaritan territory, and they wouldn't want to do that, even though it lengthened their journey considerably. So back to our story. Here Jesus begins to expose the hypocrisy of the learned and those in authority, Challenge them to really think about why they really asked the a question. The expert in the law was asking What must he do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus asks him, what is written in the law? The expert replies with, loving God with all your heart, and loving your neighbour as yourself. So the expert goes one step further. Who is my neighbour? He asks. Which as we see, Jesus responds with this story of the Good Samaritan. Which now knowing the context that underlines this fact, that the Samaritans were being good in this story to a Jewish audience, would have been incredibly tough to hear. Just as it can be for opposing fans ever dreaming of helping each other out. You see, Jesus asks the expert in law about what one must do to inherit eternal life. And the spin on that is two most important commandments. While the first commandment represents the vertical dimension of one's faith, the human to divine, the second commandment represents the horizontal dimension, human-to-human relationship. The second commandment is comparable to the first in emphasis and significance. I posed the question recently. What is easier or more important, to love God or to love your neighbour? Which is the easiest to follow? Can the two be separated? Or can one be focused on more than the other? How easy do we find them? Do we prefer one over the other? Or do we find one easier to abide by one more than the other? Don't panic, I won't ask you to confess this evening which one you prefer. But don't worry, Jesus gives us the answer and highlights the complementary relationship between the two. The second builds upon the foundation of the first, but the first reveals itself through the second. And while the second is built upon the first, the first is not complete without the second. Loving our neighbours is to a great extent an act of loving God, whose in image the neighbours are made. One cannot claim to love God unless one does everything in one's capacity to love one's neighbour, even if they are drilling at half seven on a Saturday morning when you're trying to have a lay-in. See, within the context of God's mission, one's love of God should extend itself to love and care for one's neighbour. The two are joined. From this parable, we have three principles about loving our neighbour. Firstly, a lack of love is often easy to justify. Just look at the enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans, even though it's never right. So what's preventing us from loving our neighbour? What are the barriers that we have put up? Or what have been put up against us we feel unfairly? Have we felt that maybe we've left things too long with someone, that we thought maybe we can't make that connection anymore? Or do we feel we can't do anything now to remedy the wrongs or to make it better? There's too much time passed that we find it hard to show love. Secondly, our neighbour is anyone of any race, creed, ability or social background. If they look or sound different from ourselves, doesn't mean we should ignore them or choose to walk on the other side. The gospel is for every person. As followers of Jesus, we must be prepared to share this gospel at any time and at any place. Whether it be in the workplace, down the high street, to the neighbours down our road, even our own family. Jesus crossed all barriers to share the gospel. And we who say we follow him must be prepared to do the same. And thirdly, loving our neighbour means acting to meet the person's need. Mother Teresa was quoted as saying, today it is fashionable to talk about the poor. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not fashionable to talk with them. However, the poor is not necessarily an economic thing. It can mean those who feel alone, those who feel unworthy or unable to be part of a faith community, whether that be a church or a small group. Living for ourselves can be a lonely existence. Having what we want can be attractive for a while but it doesn't last long. We need each other. Humans are made to be together. Our race has only survived because we have learned that we need to work together for each other's good. We are built to be in community. So back to the idea of being generous with our time. If there's anyone who could say, I know what it is to be busy, it's Jesus. Everywhere he looks, he literally sees someone who needs him. The leper, the blind, the mute, the mute the lost, those who have tons of questions to ask him. Throughout all the Gospels, we see Jesus busy ministering to all the people, giving his time away. But he knew his limits too. Jesus was able to be generous with his time because he started being generous with his time with God. As Rick Warren has said, for whatever area of your life you want God to bless, give him the first place. Throughout Scripture, we see this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed to his father. This was because Jesus modelled what it meant to be a follower. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. So how much time do we spend with God before we do anything else? Can I suggest that those moments with God become a time to catch your breath and to get your game plan? I was used to ask, where's the best place to pray, Marcus? And when I was asked, where's the best place to pray? Toilet. When I had kids, small, they couldn't interrupt me on there. Not if they wanted to, didn't want to, by their death wish. <laughs> but that was the best place where I could sort out my day. See, I'm not as holy as Paul, but I sought my time out and say, Lord, this is what I've got planned for the day. Lord, help me to put you in it. I know it's not easy. I know life can become busy. But when you spake that time, it's like the sharpening of the axe before the chopping begins. It's like the tuning of the instruments before the recital. You'll become most effective, I believe, in being generous with others if you're first generous in your time with God. Because all of this is built on the foundation of love, as Mark mentioned earlier. Because love, we love because God loved us first. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, they're a liar. For who does not love his brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. But he's also given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love each other. And this is so, so important. And it's something Jesus repeated again and again. You'll hear me say countless times how precious you are. God looks at you and thinks you're so, so precious. Mark mentioned this very evening that we have a good, good dad who loves each one of us. We are his children. But Jesus had to keep repeating this message of love and that we must love others. By that will they know you're my disciples, Jesus said. But the reason why Jesus kept repeating it, because the message wasn't getting through. Had you noticed that in this reading, and if you look to verse 37 in this reading, Jesus asked the expert in the law, Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man? Who fell into the hands of the robbers, and the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You see, this guy couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. This was such how deep the hatred ran, which actually betrays this expert in law's attitude when he early said, responded, about the law commands love. I believe in order for us to be really generous with our time, let's remember what it's all about. Let's seek those times and spaces to be intimate with Jesus. Let's hear from God what really matters. Let each of us embrace what's important and reject what distracts us. And let us live in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be generous with our love and time and with each other. Can I invite the band back? We're going to spend a few moments... Uh, just um, bringing things to prayer. Can I encourage you to stand if you're able? Because I really think it's important. When I was preparing this evening, I was asking the Lord, how might we bring this together? How might, can I invite for prayer? And I really feel that in an effort to be generous with our time, it might be for some of you tonight who are out here this evening, Wanting wisdom, how you might best use your time. You might think that you're spending it in all the wrong places or become distracted by all the wrong things. As I mentioned, sometimes our screen time can lead us down a rabbit hole and before we know it, we're somewhere where we don't want to be or end up buying something that we didn't really need. For some of you, maybe being generous to yourself and asking, Lord, help me out of these patterns. And be in step with you. And so maybe you'd want to come for prayer for that this evening. The prayer team are going to be available um, at the front. For some of you, it may be that you're needing God's wisdom and courage as to how you might repair and restore relationships. It may be that you're thinking about those that you've been in relationship with and there's been a breakdown. Of how maybe you can be generous with someone that you feel distant from. Or where the relationship has broken down. And maybe it's asking, Lord, help me to make steps to rebuild those relationships and to re-establish generosity in that relationship. Or for others of you this evening, it may be that it's attitudes that you have about certain situations that you have found yourself in currently or have been involved in. That maybe you want God's help to help you how you can be generous to others, or to a situation that needs God's hand upon it. Or it may be that actually it's about being generous to yourself. About how you view yourself. Maybe you're here this evening thinking, I'm not sure where I fit. I'm not sure what I'm about. I'm not sure of my direction. Trust me when I tell you this, that God, as Marcus said, is a generous, generous dad. And you are his child. He only wants the best for you. He wants you to know how precious you are to him. So come forward for prayer. If some of those words I hope have spoken to you this evening. As I said the prayer team will be available. And as we begin in worship. Let us just seek God. And so Lord I pray that as we worship together this evening. Help us to, to step out. and Help us to seek wisdom from you. As to how we can be more generous with our time to you. But generous to ourselves. And generous to those around us. Lord may you show us what it means to be generous like you. But help us to start with ourselves first. Help us to be generous to ourselves so that, Lord, you can have your way. For we are in your son's precious name. Amen.